hi, welcome to the latest edition of the Rider Rumblings video podcast. I'm Rob Vanstone, or at least I believe that to be my name at this obscene hour. We're recording this at 9.30 a.m., so I uh, apologize in advance for any fumbling and mumbling that I happen to do. How's that um, different than the other ones? I'm not sure. Well, not sure. I don't want to review it and find <laughs> out. This is episode number 48. Each time we uh, uh, go through the chronology of the episodes, we honor a player or players who uh, has a uniform number corresponding to the episode number. So number 48, one of your all-time favorites, Mer, Ray Williams. Ray Williams, exactly. One of my all-time favorites. Covered sideline to sideline with the play and sideline to sideline with interviews after games. I was so sad when he retired. He that, was sorry. an amazing player. That is Murray McCormick, by sorry. the way. Yep. I didn't introduce you. Uh, it is my great honor to introduce Derek Taylor. Uh, the newly minted voice of Sports Cage and voice of the Rough Riders for CKRM. Derek, it's awesome to have you with us. Thanks so much for taking some time. Thank you for having me. It is it is early, this this early morning thing. I still can't get used to. I'm used to going to bed at 6 a.m. <laughs> and now I'm rolling out at 7.30. It's a, it's a thing. Well, I remember <laughs> um, we're both statistical wonks. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't watch 12, what, 12,800 plays was it 12 to 862 something yeah something like that i didn't watch that many plays during the season but i went through each play um and uh each rough rider play for the last couple of years and yeah and tried to use my primitive form of analytics to explain the game and i would uh go through the pass rushes and say okay three-man rush four-man rush five-man rush what was the result and having so much faith in my statistics i would then send them to Derek and say please provide your assent or disapproval yeah. and uh, I'd often get a response well he'd often hear from me about three you'd often hear from me about three in the morning yeah. I'd often get a response at the six in the morning and I've always wondered what kind of wonky hours are we both living here yeah well mine was right sports center ends at 2 a.m sometimes 3 a.m sometimes 3 30 a.m well I still have a hard deadline of the before I go to sleep on Tuesday all of this has to be done. All the stats have to be compiled and double-checked and confirmed against what the CFL puts out. And then, oh, by the way, I have to write my piece and make sure it's set to go for the editor, for TV. That, that all is Tuesday by the time I go to bed or, or die. So <laughs> when you get off uh, work on at 2 a.m. and you roll home and you have dinner and you eat until 3 and you go, I have two football games to do tonight. It's going to be into the morning. The garbage truck will be rolling by and you'll still be watching Terrence Tolliver, you know, win a jump ball on the field side. And you're like, oh, why do I do this to myself? But then you get to have the answers. So it's it, it in the end it ends up being worth it. But it was amazing stuff. And can, I'm sure it will continue to be because I go through one game and I think, gee, that took three hours. That was a while. And then I would think, OK, what happens when when Derek has a three game day? Yeah. And uh, and. Those must be absolutely wild. It's just so illuminating and admirable what you've been able to do with the numbers as far as uh, trying to explain the CFL to people. Well, there are just so many questions, and you guys have run into it, right? You, you talk to people who, since high school and all through college and in the, in the pros, study that game at a depth that we can never do, right? Because we're not in it and living it and breathing it. So I thought, well, how can I get into that? How can I acquire some of that knowledge? It's not really in a lot of textbooks and, you know, not everybody's willing to share it, right? Guys get to be pretty protective. So how can I get that? Okay, well, I can go through and I can pull out this, this, and this. And then so I can reasonably talk about who's a great deep ball passer and who has real accuracy problems, what receivers have good hands and don't, and who are good linemen. I really wanted to know about linemen because we just assume left tackles are amazing and it gets worse from there. But there's, there's little nuances that you're able to find when you – 
stop and count 12,000 times. Oh, oh gosh. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> Murr? Oh, hi. Hi. So this is Murray McCormick. I, but I also think you also, and I, you have a different format you work from. It's, you have cutouts. You don't work from off the play-by-play play play TVs. Because Glenn Suda said they, they get cutouts of how each play works. Yeah, yeah. The, so the yeah. CFL puts out, basically takes every game and cuts up the TV tape f- for you. But sometimes I have to go, sometimes there'll be a doubleheader and I wasn't working that day. Say a doubleheader would happen on Friday. I would just be trying to do that first game essentially live. Really? And just taking out the TV tape. There are parts that would be better like whenever the teams work at it, right? They're looking at the inline or they're looking at the all 24 mm-hmm. and they have such a benefit of you can see what's actually happening. So there are things that I can't extract from, from TV mm-hmm. tape and things that I probably don't get 100% right as to, well, what offensive lineman was truly responsible for that quarterback pressure because the guard was trying to pass this guy off yeah. on a twist you probably lose some of that, but I mean, the benefits of, you know, exactly where Zach Kalaros threw every one of his passes last season, both X and Y, you know, downfield and width wise. You're like, okay, I can, I can extract some of that. I could, I could still pull out that Brandon bridge through, I think it was 30% of his passes as hitches or screens. You could still pull that out from the TV tape. So there's, there's value, but then the next level would be the all 24 and then the inline and then, having people who, you know, played professional football help you with stuff like that. One of the things that I thought, uh, one of the reasons I got into it myself is I find increasingly, co- I mean, coaches are all, have always been a secretive group. Mm-hmm. But as in, in recent years, as they've become even more secretive and perhaps more paranoid and, and even access uh, wasn't what it once was yep. during the Chris Jones era, it was really tough to get information. And they'd keep withholding things and withholding things. And they always want to keep things close to the vest football in football is like, Which like is the military, right? Yeah. I, but I always thought the one time there's no secrets, it's the game. They're yep. putting it all out there. It's three hours. There's no secrets anymore. And they're lining up in certain formations and they're doing certain things and you can chart tendencies. And that's the time when that's when the most information can be gleaned when you're not interviewing anybody. Yeah. And it's just, there on a canvas for you. It always fascinated me how secretive they are because as if every team, you know, what they're doing in practice is a different deal, but every other team is seeing what every team is doing during the game. They're all on live television. If the Calgary Stampeders and the Riders are playing next week, they both know exactly what's happened for those teams in the previous 11 weeks. So why they're so secretive, I don't really get it. I I just don't, but then, I, I mean, uh, intellectual property. I don't know, maybe that's it. But they could really open it up for, for folks like us who could then open it up for people who read and consume the stuff that we put out, right? Just to, to know more about it, to know Willie Jefferson uh, had more pressures in three-man rushes than anybody else. You're like, oh, okay, that gives you a little insight into Willie. And, you know, for, for us, when we do things like all-star voting, you can go, Okay, well, what do I think is valuable? What do they think is valuable? Who who's actually the best players in the league? So, because I mean, people take what we say, and they I mean, they take it pretty seriously, right? So we have a responsibility to put out good content, good information. Because it's interesting you mentioned pressures. The league couldn't keep pressures last year because they couldn't come up with a successful or an accurate way of measuring what a pressure yeah. was and what a pressure wasn't. They, they name dropped me when they said they're not doing that anymore. I was <laughs> I was honored slash I understand why they did it. Yeah, it's just one of those stats that's such so judgmental. Or recording drop passes, which they abruptly stopped doing, I believe. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing, right? Uh, like Steve Daniel and the CFL crew, they're, they're dealing with nine different cities, right? So nine different interpretations 
expectations of what is the quarterback pressure and who is responsible for it. Me, I'm dealing with one interpretation of Sean Lemon had 48 quarterback pressures. And sometimes, I mean, you see it on the field, they're super subtle. Like sometimes we'll see this season, Micah Johnson's going to do something in the interior, which truly is what flushes out the quarterback, even though maybe it's AC Leonard, who is the first guy to turn the quarterback back. To me, that's Micah Johnson's play, and maybe it's also A.C. Leonard's play, but it's it's very subtle. You have to kind of draw a line of, well, what action is the pressure and, and what action results from the pressure? So I, I understand that. And then drops. I, uh, I was talking with uh, Darrell Walker because I put out a stat that he'd had the most drops over the last three years, and he said, well, can I let me see some of those. I'm like, hey, I'm me, I'd take any chance to have a, a player who knows the game input on it. And I looked at some of them and I went back to 2016 and I, I looked at the five he had that year and I'm like, oh, those are really harsh. That was really harsh of me back in the day. Riley Huck's one that's near the sideline. And I, I don't know what I thought at the time, but I thought maybe Darrell should have caught it. But on reflection, I'm like, no, I don't think he should have caught that. So that's that's not a drop. That's not a drop in. But then five hit him directly in the hip, and you're like, okay, well, there's no way, there's no way a professional receiver should not have caught that. So you draw your lines and you make your your definitions and stick to them. And being able to be one person doing that over nine different groups plus one central checker in the CFL it, for me is a huge benefit. So how do you transfer that to radio? Because I know details was very television oriented, very yeah. graphic oriented. And there's not a lot of vision in radio. Last time I checked, not a lot of graphics, a lot of words. So how yeah. do you? How do you translate and still make have it make sense for people? Well, that's going to be that's going to be the problem, right? Because with the TV segments that I did, you can plop in graphs. Not not everybody's in love with numbers. We're in love with numbers. Uh, not everybody's in love with numbers. So you, you can plop in graphs and and to take away some of the numbers pressure of 47, 18, 12, 26, 2.6 percent, minus 2.4 percent. That's going to be the trick is to to figure out that sweet spot of of to say I may not say hey. Uh, and I'm making this number up. Zach Kalaris was uh, two points b- below expected on his intermediate passes between 10 and 19 yards down the field. I might say Zach didn't have the best season in that intermediate range, but man, in those deep passes, he really he really makes it go. And then and then Mullinder will go. Yes, absolutely, Derek. That's a genius insight. You're, I'm <laughs> yeah. I'm pleased to work with you. Uh, let me buy you dinner afterward. So, but that, that's that's going to be a real trick, right? Because yeah. I mean, you you do it in your writing too. You're like, I can't put too many numbers even though they paint the picture to me yeah nobody likes numbers like i like numbers so i fall into that trap too i get really pardon me number centric and to the point where it looks like a tax return instead of a column and yeah uh, and sometimes they can really buttress a point sometimes they can completely ruin the point you're trying to make and there's a real fine line there yeah so you just you're just looking for i mean like you guys you're just looking for the story that it that it tells um last year Correct me if I'm wrong with how I remember this story, but when when Bridge was in at quarterback, people noticed, hey, there's a lot of hitch passes going on here. There's a lot of screen passes, and and this is the part. Correct me on the the coaches said it's about offensive line. We're trying to cover for the offensive line. I thought, are you are you kidding? That's 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 absolutely that can't be what you're doing. And then because when Zach Kalaros comes in, bam, that's down to six percent. And, you know, it's, it's yeah. such a dramatic difference that it's whatever it is, it's got to be about Brandon Bridge. So it just, you can tell that story. You have two numbers, 30% and 6%. 
and you can tell an interesting story and ask interesting questions that they, I assume last year, did not in any way answer for well, you. Actually, and Chris Jones would answer that question, and I would say he'd slip into footballese, and he'd talk about all, throw all the numbers and all the phrases, and you'd listen to that, and you go, you can't explain that to a person. That doesn't make any sense what he's talking about. He'd talk about cover two, and he'd go on these tangents. Oh, okay. And then you go, okay, well, I guess, yeah. And then you talk to Stephen McAdoo's a little more descriptive i think in when he's and the year before your brandon bridge money stat was that he led the league and dropped interceptions yeah. which i'm sure goes on the hall of fame bust well and Bowley by mitchell's high up in those two yeah like bo gets away with some stuff and that one to me is that was one of the, the first stats i had to have and i've had people on twitter go that's not a stat if they don't intercept it it's not a stat and that that absolutely makes me shake my head so if the quarterback throws the ball directly to a defensive back yeah, that's that's a nothing play in your mind because to me that's an atrocious play. Yeah, maybe something else happened, but if it's the quarterback's fault and it goes to the defensive back, whether that DB catches it or not, that's an atrocious play. You can't possibly spin that as neutral. Oh, if you fumble the ball but you get it back, you didn't fumble it. Yeah, uh, I don't know <laughs> about that logic there. So, uh, yeah, dropped interceptions to me was one I really had to see. Whether it tells you anything about a, a team defensively. I haven't totally wrestled with, but from a quarterback perspective, when you see, you know, there were six other passes that Zach should have had picked last season, which would have made that stat line look even less good. Is less good? Can I say? Uh, Yeah, I I I love dropped ints because then there's dropped touchdowns too that quarterbacks should get credit for. There's one stat that I hate, and I think there's a way this stat could be redone to be more illuminating. That stat being defensive tackles. It's a loaded stat oh, yeah. because it favors players on bad teams because the defense is going to be on the field more. And say that player A has 120 defensive tackles. Well, you don't know whether he's made 120 tackles to, for a one-yard gain or a nine-yard gain. Yep. And I've always thought a good stat would be, and I hope I'm not getting too wonkish here, average yards gained average per play tackle. on tackles. Yep. I thought that if, if, you're, if it's a, you've got that one. I have that one. Yeah, like, it was it was tough to it was kind of tough to put together because I had to get an extra layer of of numbers. But yeah, like average depth of tackle, and then you, you'll you'll lose some stuff because you'll find uh, will linebackers play differently on different teams. So some guy ends up. I think Iguavan ended up with a tremendous number. Like his average tackle depth was one point two yards wow. downfield on run tackles. And you're like, wow, that blows away so many other ones. Or you'd have little discrepancies between say. Uh, Alex Singleton and Solomon Elamimian, because Elamimian chased a guy downfield 25 yards. It throws his numbers a little out of whack, so there's probably some adjustment that could be done in there. But yeah, like your your point exactly. Um, another one would be missed tackles. Missed tackles are enormous for me because you'll watch. Yep. I mean, you guys saw Enoch Mwamba play here. He goes to Montreal, and that dude makes plays. But that dude blows plays more than anybody else <laughs> in the league. And you're like, how can the guy who has the most stops behind the line of scrimmage not make? Routine tackles five yards downfield. Like, oh, okay. So I, I'm with you in that raw tackle numbers are not amazing. So yeah, there are there are ways to there are ways to adjust for it, but then how do you judge the adjustment? Right? Because if if your middle linebacker is able to chase guys down, pretend everybody else around him is terrible and Sam Hurl is amazing and he's chasing guys down all over the field his depth of tackle may look bad his tackle numbers may look great and you're like okay well I have some information but I have to know how to 
how I think is the best way to use it. Well, Everson Walls, for example, the 1991 Super Bowl, he stopped Thurman Thomas for a 22-yard gain. Mm-hmm. So it probably looks terrible. But if he doesn't stop Thurman Thomas, he goes for a touchdown, and there's no Scott Norwood does not live in infamy. Yeah. So that was a very good plate for Everson Walls to hold Thurman Thomas to a 22-yard yeah. gain. Yep. But it might look like he's a passenger if you look at the pure numbers. Well, yeah, because uh, uh, in that case, and, and the play doesn't strike me immediately, but if, if three other guys busted and he's saving their butts, that's a tremendous play. Uh, depth of tackle, I think it, it can add some interesting ones. Uh, I found one where uh, Ted Laurent had made a tackle. It had to be probably 15, 20 yards downfield, and you think, Ted Laurent, who carries How did that happen? (laughs) So when he re-signed, I tweeted, I think, I believe Ted Laurent's new deal uh, requires that he will not make any any tackles more than 10 yards downfield because, man, yeah, he he liked that tweet. So I was happy with how that played out. But That's why he's so good. He's he's incredible. Like the the range of defensive tackles we have in this league right now, they're different. Uh, Mm -hmm. Laurent, guys like Laurent and Seawall and Edmonton are these – strong monsters but then you have i mean micah johnson here now is just a whole different breed yeah. and i thank my lucky stars he's not in my line of work because he destroyed me too yeah. <laughs> i saw a picture of him on twitter the other day and he is ripped yeah. <laughs> yeah. they're all ripped yeah but he is kind of i kind of went holy smokes this is a defensive tackle where you think they're more roundish yeah absolutely laurent's uh, <laughs> more more roundish he carries a lot of mass Seawell. If you've ever seen the, he would put out videos of him bench pressing like 315 pounds, 35 times. And you go, wow, that's not real man strength. That's whatever's up after real man yeah. strength. Uh, Mike, I mean, Micah is just, he doesn't carry that extra mass. Cause he does I mean, he plays a different kind of game yep. that we're um, fascinated to see live 20 plus times this season. Uh, Cause that guy's, that guy's a marvel compared to what else we have going in the CFL. I mean, he's getting defensive end sack numbers as a defensive tackle. Oh, and yeah. he's got his, he yeah. plays at the position as DT, so it's perfect. Well, and uh, so I, I had to go back as far as the CFL had online. No defensive tackle had had double-digit sacks in a season. He had 14 sacks by the CFL last year. I, I'd given him credit for a couple more because there are times when one guy gets there and the other guy is, you know, this far behind. They both beat a guy. They both, to me, deserve credit for it. He had So in my mind, he had 16 sacks. 12 of them, he had to bust through somebody. He had to beat an offensive lineman to get 12 of those sacks. It wasn't somebody did the work and flushed the guy right into, uh, right into him or the coverage was good for six seconds and he finally got home. He destroyed people on a repeated basis more than anybody else in the league, more than Charleston Hughes. It's... He's phenomenal. So no defensive tackle had ever gotten double digits. It went back. To, I think the the numbers I, I got from the CFL's website went back to 2002. So I clicked back through everyone, and there was not a defensive tackle with double digit sacks until him last wow. year. Because why would it, why would a DT ever have that many sacks? Yeah, right. They they that's not there. Yeah, Bill Baker did. And okay, they, he was they moved him to defensive tackle his, his second last season here. In 77, and I believe he had 14 that year. Okay. And I'm sure Ed McWhorter's playing defensive tackle did once upon a time. But again, stats in the league are so skewed because going back a certain way, certain distance, you don't even have defensive tackles. They yeah. did, there's no sacks recorded. Uh, some teams had totals on their own. The Riders have sack totals in their 76, 77, 78 media guides. Yeah. But other teams didn't. 
and yeah. uh, it's so arbitrary. And there's so many different different standards by which players are judged. We are you're a basketball guy. We always go oh before uh, since 1984 <laughs> 85 most triple doubles and in your mind you go. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Wilt Chamberlain had a ton of those. Oscar Robertson. I'm pretty pretty <laughs> yeah. sure there were a ton of those back in Wilt Chamberlain. So, yeah, so we but we 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 deal with what we can. Like I have no I have no data before four seasons ago. So when I say William Powell broke 90 tackles, the most we've seen, it, it comprises only four years. But at least at least there's a starting point, and you know, for the next 20 years, we'll, I can acquire data. But you, you just you had to start somewhere. I wish I could have backtrack to 14 and 13 and 2012 and stuff but you do what you can i know you guys are in love with your stats and it's really kind of i, I was worried I, I was going to take it off on this and tangent. you've completely dominated i'm going to cut my eyes back off with glaze and on to focus <laughs> daryl i know and you've talked a little bit about this coming to toronto to regina and i know mm. this is the center of the universe and arguably we're saying at probably the biggest television station you're doing all the things you want to do and you pick regina to come back to yeah. and i think people are going to say why? And then it's not disparaging Regina any little bit, but you were where you wanted. This were people in Regina dream to go to, and yep. you come to Regina. Why, maybe just as a quick synopsis on why you decided to make that move. Yeah, like TSN, I mean, it is, it, when I was you know 15 years old, I thought, oh, I want to do that. I want to be Michael Landsberg, because I will watch Michael <laughs> Landsberg and Brendan Connor, and I thought, well, I'm not going to be a professional athlete, but I could talk about sports for a living. So I thought, okay, I'll be there when I'm 26. Boom, great career. I got there when I was 40. And so you get to, you know, four and a half years pass and you think, okay, well, there's, there's a point where, okay, I love my job. I love my career. I love the direction it's going. I love the people I'm working with, but my wife, you know, is living and working in Saskatoon and you're like, okay, maybe this is earlier than I thought I would have to, uh, that I would leave TSM, but I always knew it was coming because, you know, whatever happened in my work life and other stuff, my marriage was going to survive. Like I'm always going to be married to Fiona uh, until, you know, we die in a skydiving accident on our 100th birthdays. Um, that was I always laugh, you... but uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's so sad. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, but... I hope I'm there to write the old bit. But yeah, what a great story it'll be. They plummeted to happiness. Um, I always knew, I mean, the, our marriage was the more important part. So you're like, okay, well, okay, that's going to play a factor at some point. And then all of a sudden, this opportunity comes up. Rod resigns from the job and you're like, oh my goodness. Like, you guys can, can tell me if I'm wrong, but my perception was... The writer's play-by-play job is would be the most coveted local sports job in the CFL, and to the point where I've said it a bunch of times, I don't even, I couldn't even figure out what number two was in talking to people, be it Hamilton, Winnipeg, whatever, because number one is so far ahead of the rest of the jobs from the passion of the fan base and the quality of the, of the the work that the club does. I thought this is this is a real opportunity so if you're going to leave something great you have to you would have to go to something great and that this i thought okay so you start weighing it all out it's 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 a little earlier than i wanted to leave tsn i really love doing i love doing highlights i love being on sports center i loved working with laura dyken it was just it was tremendous uh then you weigh that against okay improved home life chance to really dig into football uh chance to be do play-by-play for football uh, as Bob Irving at Winnipeg said, hey, there's only nine of us, so welcome to the club. Yeah. I'm like, wow, that's – I hadn't really thought of it in that way. But you're like, wow, that's that's really quite quite a big deal. So uh, there were there was so much back and forth in, in the weeks of uh, will I be offered this job? Okay, I've been offered the job. What's going to happen now? 
I was staying in Toronto. I was going to Regina, back forth, back forth, back forth. But uh, ultimately, it just it kind of became a no brainer that this this was the job I had to take just for so many reasons. Plus, you can get wherever you are in ten minutes, <laughs> or fifteen minutes. You can probably get from your new house. You haven't moved there yet, but well, to the here, office. And <laughs> here's the thing: uh, my commute from Emerald Park to the office on Rose Street will be double what my commute in Toronto was. Believe it or not, oh, really? I live I live ten, I live ten <laughs> okay. minutes down the freeway uh, from the TSN building. My longest commute ever was in rush hour one morning. It took me 19 minutes to get to work. <laughs> okay, well, that is a wow. fallacy. So, yeah, Google Google Maps tells me it's going to be 21 minutes from Emerald Park. So okay. I kind of I pooched myself on that one. That's Ronnie, Ronnie used to live on Emerald Park Road. Okay. So it's a natural. There you go. I was trying to figure out where you live because you said you lived on a golf course. I'm thinking, okay, the only place in Regina that could be is the Goulet or the Emerald Park. So Yeah, uh, Aspen, Aspen. Aspen Links. There we go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which... Um, it, it's right on our back door. It looks fantastic, and yeah. yeah, can't can't wait. Has anybody warned you about the Ring Road train? No, I did Ring Road you won't train. Be seeing that though, if you're trying to traverse around Regina, eventually you're going to oh, run yeah. into the Ring Road. If, train. He's, if he's seeing the Ring Road it's train so... from coming from Emerald Park, he's made the no. Wrong I'm just saying, <laughs> which is very possible. Do, duty duty calls, and yes, you have to get true. around this wonderful burg of ours, and you're going to run into the Ring Road train, and. Uh, so the train, your vocabulary will be expanded, I'm sure. The train literally crosses Ring Road at one yeah. point. Yeah, yes, it does. It's right. terrible. For my time in Winnipeg, we had that, and they eventually just started building, you know, nine-figure underpasses all over town because they couldn't deal with it anymore. So, yeah, fingers crossed that the Ring Road underpass will someday be a thing. Yesterday, you I just sorry, wanted, yesterday was your first day, so you have all these dreams, you have all these thoughts about Toronto, and you get to go on the area. So I wonder what you're, what were you like in the first few minutes, like. You seem pretty cool. You're you're excited and doing things, but what was your what was it like for the first few minutes of being on air and just for doing all this kind of stuff? Yeah, it, like, it was it was good because I I work like I've done radio solo, I've done radio in pairs, and it's so much better having a partner there because you can bounce ideas off each other, you can you can crack jokes about each other. So to, to be able to do the first one with Luke and and Mike was was a big relief. You know, you don't have to carry the weight of a yeah. two and a half hour show, and then. Everything, you know, computer systems are different, and we use this system for carts, and, you know, yeah. someone else took care of that when I would do radio in Toronto, and uh, there's so many promotional tags that you're like, oh, we're, we're all filling spots in between commercials, and TV and radio, we're yeah. filling spots in between commercials, so, like, okay, well, I got to make sure I get this right, and this right, and this right, because these these are important to us. Mako is important to us, so we have to make yeah. sure that I get this right, and, and if I blow this, I'm going to feel awful, so there'll be a point where I'm finally able to get out of my own head about, okay, I got to tag this out with this after, after Matthew Shinetti's done talking, I'm going to say this, I'll get out of my own, uh, own way with that. Uh, but that was, that was the biggest thing in the first, uh, first day. I got up a couple of zingers about Luke. I was happy about that. They yeah. went over. Okay. Uh, but yeah, the, just the mechanics of the job are still what's going to, to baffle me for the first couple of weeks. I'm told that your co-host or what your cohort or whatever the correct term is for day two is rather weak. Yeah, uh, he. Where did you come up with that one? He's a writer, kind of gangly. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe you guys can talk about stats. <laughs> there you go. He's making seventies basketball references exactly, to me on yeah. Twitter. Football Nate Thurman will come up. Nate yeah, no, we're happy to have you. I'm curious. I'm curious to see because we've been. Like, this is the first time we've met. Like yeah. we've been buddies online for at the wee hours of the morning. So I'm curious to see how we uh, we chop it up on the air this afternoon. That should be fun. I, yeah. I'm honored by the invitation, and I, I thank you for it. Yeah. Don't don't don't. 
screw it up though. I won't. I'm a harsh. I've already screwed up this job. I can't afford to screw all right, up. All right, all right. Enough fawning, enough fawning. Let's talk about some football. What's going to happen May 19th? What's your thought? The CBA, they you know they met for 10 hours yesterday. They're going to meet again today. I know everyone's no the players have been very transparent. Un, yeah. Generally transparent. At least accessible. Accessible. The league has been totally mouth shut. Because right now we want to know, people asking me, should I go to training camp on the 19th? Right. Is May 19th, which is... <laughs> I And let me preface this by, I have, I have no particular insight into this. I have a tough time believing the players as a whole will not approve a CBA in time. Just yeah. because it's some of these guys are not killing it financially. Like you've seen Odell Willis put out some stories earlier in the year. It just, you know, when you're pulling in 50 some odd thousand dollars a year, taking it back to America, uh, at some point it's going to be earning time again, right? So I have a tough time believing that they're going to stand too tall um, unless there are some real benefits for them. One thing I've said I wanted for a long time is a, a higher minimum salary because I just want... In my heart, I just want guys who want to make a career out of professional football have a have a real chance to make a career out of professional football. Right. So, if fifty x thousand becomes the new minimum is eighty thousand, and these are numbers I'm pulling out of the yeah. air. That to me that would be that would warm my heart just as a football fan because now some guys get a chance. I had a buddy in Toronto say, uh, "Oh, hey, remember Braylon Addison, the receiver? I thought was going to tear it up in fantasy that week after Jalen Saunders of the Ticats got hurt. He's driving my Uber right now." You're like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. Uh, he's, he, I mean, that's what it is. So it's he's just trying to uh, he's just trying to keep it keep it going until camp starts. Just trying to make a living until he can get back to what he loves. And I would I would in, it would warm my heart to know that these guys get an extra boost in keeping on doing what they love. Is that worth like? And I think about that. I think about all the stuff we're hearing coming out. Have you heard one item that's worth going to strike over? I haven't heard anything that's walking out of camp. That the healthcare says, thing. The healthcare, but yeah. Like because I was at the game when Jonathan Hefney went down yeah. it, uh, in Ottawa, Ottawa, Montreal, and it was fortunate it was across the field from where I was sitting, and just thud, and all of a sudden this guy who was a terrific player can never play again, and then you see, oh hey, we're running a GoFundMe for Jonathan Hefney. To get his I th- neck surgery, I think it was. Yeah. That shoulder surgery. Okay, something in there needs to be needs to be done because these guys. I mean, football is not like any wow. other sport, right? These guys just just they could it, they could die but, playing the game they love. But is that are you going to get that kind of support from the fans to saying you want normal health care? And we've talked about that. The fact that they don't have health care after a year from the league is yeah. just ridiculous. I don't see how the league can get away with that. But it's the game, football gets away with that. I don't see the fans rallying around. Better health care, yes. <laughs> well, then it, becomes, it comes on them to go, hey, this is our life and our bodies. And imagine not being able to. There was a story in Sports Illustrated, and this was, gosh, this is more than a decade ago. Uh, it, but it was all about injuries, and it had, I want to say it was, uh, was it, I don't know, Namath, Unitas on the cover, and he was sort of holding a football, but then on the on the story, it, like, yeah, he can't actually hold a football anymore, his body. So yeah. there was a guy in his 30s who played for the Bengals, and he's wearing two knee braces in the photo, big 300-plus-pound lineman, can't pick up his daughter because his body is so destroyed, he's afraid he's going to drop his two-year-old. You think, these guys... This is this is what they're doing for the sport they love. There has to be something better. So if if the PA can sell it to to fans, hey, I mean, you have health care. If you were crushing a car accident on your way to work, you have long term disability care. Why shouldn't we get something that extends to 
three years, five years post career because it's it's for real. Like being in your thirties and being essentially disabled to That's some what's extent. That's funny when you when Rob talks, but we meet guys like Al Ford and Dale West and these older guys, and they're moving okay. And you go, well, how can like, except George Reed? But George Reed's nearly eighty. How old is George? Eighty on October second. So he's he doesn't right. move that well. But you know they're kind of getting by. It's the younger guys that they're yeah, banged up. You've had three hip surgeries. That's You're true too. Yeah, and I'm, yeah, well. and I don't do anything. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of. Well, I, I worked with Matt Dunnigan, right? And I worked, <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I worked with Dunnigan uh, back in the day. I was a writer at TSN from 1998 to 2000. And Dunnigan had just started there. And there was a, a flight of like 25 stairs to go up to the cafeteria in the old building. And he's like, oh, you go first, young man. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Uh, Age, age before beauty. And he said, no, no, when you've had 14 surgeries below the waist, it takes a wow. little while longer. I would imagine stairs. And, and Dunnigan, when you see him, you're like, man, this dude, I don't know his workout routine. That dude keeps himself in shape, yeah. like in shape for someone who's 20, much less his age. And you think, I wonder how much of that is because he absolutely positively has to do that or else the ravages of the broken collarbones and the knee surgeries yeah. would turn you know, a guy in his 50s into a guy in his 80s. I'm intrigued by, uh, and you alluded to it in the sports cage yesterday and, and, and in previous, I think on Twitter, et cetera, uh, Zach Kalaros, you're a big, well, I'm not sure if fan is the right word, but you're an advocate of his, his uh, I'm on Kalaros Island. Yes, yes. absolutely. Uh, well, what's, what's your lonely spot? <laughs> <laughs> and, and here's the thing, and, I, and I, I, I want to be fully admitting, too, I'm on Kalaros Island. The first year I charted stats was 2015, and Kalaros and Hamilton that year was unbelievable to the point where if i had a vote that year i would have really i've been like is he the mop of the league could i make an argument for that or i honestly i probably would have had him first team east division all-star that year he was that good in limited play i i did a, a detailed segment on it and i said okay well if you prorate his numbers out for the season as the drum beats uh, go on around us if you construction's it, a wonderful thing yeah, there you go as you pro it out for the season, and if his numbers had increased like Henry Burris's increased that year, he would have finished with like 41 touchdowns versus 31 intercept, 13, pardon me, interceptions, which is a ratio like the one year Casey Printers was a god. The, the, that level of play, the numbers we'd never seen before. So I'm always, he was amazing under pressure. He was able to scramble until the one that took his knee. He did so much so well that year that... That's that's kind of an anchor point for me when I think of Zach Kalaros. So I know the heights that he can achieve. He has not in any way approached those yeah. last season with the Riders or in his time with the Ticats. But that 2015 Zach is stuck in my mind. So I think, okay, he's going to get back to that. I, I had him in my top 10 in our top 50 ballot last year because I believed it was going to be amazing for him. So... I that kind of prefaces how I uh, approach Zach. Now, the more seasons of nine touchdowns and thirteen interceptions yes. he puts up there, it, it's it's going to fade. But there are still things that he does really that did really well even in this offense last year. So I don't know if I'm if I'm leaving Kalaros Island anytime <laughs> soon, but I am firmly on it, and I am you know I'm building a port for anybody who wants to. Until uh, he gets what? the first quarterback pressure and then gets hit in the head and. Why did the, the league's got to stop letting people hit him in the head for free? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. If there's any rule change, they can talk about rule changes. Oh, it can be 25 yards, blah, blah. You know what? Just stop letting people hit Zach in the head for nothing. That's mm -hmm. that was so bad. I'm I, I'm not I wasn't the least bit partial last year, but I would see uh, Matt Nichols in Winnipeg 
would his natural reaction would be to kind of duck down a little bit and and brace himself, thus lowering his head and get hit in the head and get in people's minds a free 15 yards. You'd mm-hmm. see Jeremiah Masoli did it a couple times as well. People would on Twitter would get super frustrated with Kalara, with pardon me, with Nichols for the for just protecting himself and lowering his heads. Like, How is he getting this free call? And Kalaros, some guy's flying at Kalaros, yeah. crown of the helmet to his head, and nothing at all when you should see that or have a have a way to look at that again. It was so bad. But you just, I mean, I, I root for everybody to be healthy, but yeah. um, I mean. And, we, and if he's healthy, the same thing. Like, I don't think any of us want to go through watching an offense like that again in 19. I think we've been suffered through enough. Yeah. And unfortunately, the, the focus of our attention is Zach and Stephen McAdoo. But yeah. So, so it's nice to see a healthy, and I think they have a better offensive line this year. Yes. Absolutely. The way the way it evolved over last season, absolutely. It's, it's going to be better, but he's got to stay healthy because there's no one. If after Zach Kolaris, the cupboard's just about bare. Is bare. Unless Rob thinks it's someone else. Cody Fajardo. Fajardo. I mean, Fajardo's a, a, a sneak quarterback and short yardage quarterback that we've seen. Um, and your second string quarterback doesn't play that role. He's going to be a, so if he's a third string guy who is who's next up. Yeah. Draft Mike O'Connor. That's I've said that last week. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> There's a whole Canadians don't count on the quarterback thing. Yeah, but I think I like just about O'Connor. O'Connor is better than a Canadian quarterback if you know what I mean. He's oh, American trained. Yep. He's got all the background and he's bigger. He's what six five two thirty. Yep. And he's had and he's had success in the Canadian game. He won the Vanier Cup. I think he's a different level of quarterback. But that's why I say take that six in the drafts on Tuesday on Thursday. Yeah. Use that sixth pick to take O'Connor and then. But there's got to be incentive. Enact yeah. the Brandon Bridge rule. If you play, you're you're classified as a as a national. But it's it, pretty simple. But O'Connor's. Isn't O'Connor the same kind of gamble as taking an offensive lineman who's going to go out of the NFL and be in training camp? Why not take O'Connor, give him a couple of years to develop? But And it's hard to develop Canadian quarterbacks. I understand that. I've been <laughs> Just develop a quarterback. The, yeah. the thing, if you wanted to write in, hey, uh, if you, one of your three quarterbacks, if he's Canadian, it counts toward your, your number that have to be on your roster. Somebody's going to game that bad. Oh, absolutely. And everybody's third quarterback is going to be Canadian, and that, play, that guy's going to play special teams. And like, well, what have we, what have we really done? Because he's not, we don't, we'll never know if he's in quarterback meetings or not because they won't tell us he's he's individual teams. So I'm just afraid that that Canadian quarterbacks, great. I get to be on the CFL roster, but is this any different than back in the day when I would just convert to safety when Chris Hardy would just convert to safety? Well, I, they, there would need to be some protection for the yep. Canadian quarterbacks from coaches who just want to game the numbers. Isn't it as simple as saying, and as Brandon Bridges said, if you're actually in the game, then you get credit. Then you get rate, derive the ratio benefits. What's what's in the game, I playing. guess, then? Like, well, did Andrew Buckley play for Calgary, right? When he would run, he would yeah. come in, run sneaks, get, yeah. and yeah. done. And granted, he pulled off a 60-yard sneak once, which is unbelievable. But there, I mean... The brand of got meaningful playing time, and the oh, Riders got no credit for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, but they also got he also played though. But he got then the Riders yeah. got no ratio derived, no yeah. ratio really to benefits yeah. from it. But yeah, it, it, that's with, where it gets dicey. With every rule you add in, you have to you have to do a lot of thinking about okay, how are people going to skirt yeah. this rule and actively cheat this rule? Right. And, so which in a room, is in yeah. a room full of men who live to cheat the rules and are smart and are <laughs> not smart, cheap, but right? smart. They understand that. All of a sudden, Canadian defensive tackles started having hamstring injuries when the Bombers were rolling in a game in 2017. You're like, yeah. oh, 
Well, it's and we've seen fake injuries have been. Uh, I'm trying to think of the, of the bomber I once thought was really critically injured. So I went up to him after the game and go, "Oh my goodness, how's your leg?" He's like, "No, no, we just needed a timeout." Yeah, <laughs> I, I fell for it. Yeah. I, I absolutely fell for it. I'm like, "Oh, okay. Well, this was this, and that was 17 years ago, much so, less so me, what happened two years ago." Let me just drag you back to Kolaris for a second. Yeah. Can the Riders win with the Kolaris? Because he's the key. He's the whole key 100%. to this season. I think. I, I absolutely believe they can. So much about it. Uh, so much about great quarterback play is great protection. When you think, like, Bo Levi Mitchell, to me, has been the best quarterback the last three years. That protection he has, even with rotating offensive linemen through there in Calgary, has been phenomenal. And there's a guy who could stand in the middle of the freeway and be completely comfortable with cars whizzing by him. Everything is set up to work with that. Um, Mike Riley, this past season, just loses uh you know Joel Figueroa off the edge just c- continually gets pummeled they end up being 9 and 9 um Kolaros need better protection that certainly evolved over the course of the season and then what couldn't have helped was hey uh we have all these veteran receivers Everybody get out at the yeah. beginning of the season. <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. Bakari Grant, you led the league in yards after the catch last season. You were a 1,000-yard receiver. Get out. Yeah. And then we're going to put in these guys. And Jordan Williams-Lambert was phenomenal. Phenom- yeah. Kyron Moore was very exciting. But from you what's absolutely went from scratch. Shaq Evans. Okay, well, you were there. It, it just <laughs> you went from scratch on day one. That could not have helped anybody. It was it was necessary on some level, I guess, because they did it, but it couldn't have helped. So to come back and go, okay, well, we know we have Kyron Moore, we know we have Shaq, we have this and that. We have if we want to go run game, we have a guy who can carry the ball a lot. The CFL, you don't carry the ball a ton, but William Powell can get 290 carries or 300 plus touches if they want. I honestly. Zach, he's great at evading the pressure. His numbers show he's fantastic. When there is pressure, he keeps it from turning into a sack. He's still able to do that. His accuracy is fourth best in the league last year versus what was expected. He threw a little deeper last year than he had in past seasons. He's got a lot of tools that are still very... And that dude, I mean, that dude believes in himself. That dude believes he's good. And if you can protect a quarterback like that and you can let him do some things... If it's not screens and underneath and drag routes and little, let's get some folks who can who can stretch the field horizontally and vertically. I honestly think Zach can can be the man. Now this isn't statistically measured by any imagination, but I know when he came back for his press conference, he just seemed like a different Zach. Okay, when, with us during the season, he was very guarded. He wasn't very open. You could tell he wasn't very happy to be here. I think would be a pretty easy observation. Right down to the last bit when. He, the season ends and he's gone and he doesn't even have a season-ending press conference and, or to talk to the media, which is the first time that's ever happened in our lifetime. I can't remember a quarterback not being available on garbage time really? day. But he didn't play. So, But Brandon Bridge did make himself available. Yeah. That was that part. But he said he didn't know. I think at that press conference he said he wasn't aware that he was even needed or he would have done it. Yeah. So well, it may have been a miscommunication. I don't know. But he still wasn't there. Yeah. And it still left lots of questions. Yeah. But now, at that introductory press conference, he looked a little more relaxed, a little more the kind of Zach that we'd heard about rather okay. than the Zach we got. So maybe maybe that's a sign. Maybe Chris Jones and him didn't meld. And, you know, if that doesn't work out. And I'm not saying I know that, but there's just something in his personality. But I don't know how you measure that. Yeah. All we can do is see what he does in this season and measure that maybe there's a different Zach with Craig Dickinson and Jeremy O'Day and 
Yeah. Maybe a second year with Steve Walsh as a quarterback coach helps. Yeah. Like, uh, just from how, how very little I know, Zach, like, I, I just know he and I are different dudes. Like, I'm happy go lucky. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> that's, that's, that in no way seems like who Zach is. He and I once yeah. were at the gym at the same time. We were treadmills next to each other. And it seems like a good guy. And yeah. I'm sure he would know. I mean, he's, he's good at what he does. But yeah, he, so I haven't. Well, know, he was the only. I don't know how he ticks exactly. Just like when they originally signed him, he was the only quarterback available. They really the best quarterback available at the time in January, way back when. when yeah. They signed. And and this time, after the top three were gone, what do you got to do? You got to pick. You got to go with. Zach. I didn't think there was another quarterback the Riders could have signed that would have. You know. Maybe. Yeah, it's it's one. I mean, this league right now, right, is one and one A in yeah. Bo and Mike Riley, and then it's Trevor Harris, and then you get you starting to get into okay. Um, I see. I, th- I think Zach is a high ceiling, but his results the last three years have been very middling. Trevor Harris, uh, Matt Nichols, and then you even go a step down to Jonathan Jennings, and then yep. you get the well. Can an- what can Antonio Pipkin be? Because I'm I'm slowly trying amalgamating a Pipkin Island as well because <laughs> I-, I like what that guy has too. But yeah, there's there's it's 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 a far drop from one and one A to yeah. to number two in this league. Well, I don't want to get too statsy again, but no, your your analytics of the Rough Riders offense last year. What did they tell you about tendencies? Was there something that really just knocked you over the head when you appraised that that offense statistically? It was last just year? how how dramatically they had to, in my mind, cover for Brandon Bridge, and and I heard it. I heard it a lot, man. This Brandon Bridge, he's fantastic. Can and. In my head, I'm like, well, okay, how much of that is because he's Canadian? Oh, look at this. I was at the game in Toronto where he marched him down the field. Kevin Glenn was so bad to start with. They pulled him. Bridge went in. Saskatchewan wins the game 27-24, whatever it was. And and Bridge, Bridge is the hero. And I watched that game live, and then I went and watched it on tape, and I went, I don't know that anybody makes it harder on his receivers to, to catch balls than Brandon Bridge in this league because Naaman would pick one off his shins and then uh, Bakari Grant would have to reach behind him as he's running a, a drag route. And you're like, okay, that's that's a completed pass, but that's not a that's not a great pass. You put that on him and let him do some stuff. So I, I thought a lot of it was uh, receivers kind of covering up his, his faults. His accuracy was the second worst in the league. Uh, last season ahead of only Chris Trevler, which if if you're ahead <laughs> of the, the the running rookie in Winnipeg, another guy who there's great heat on because they do some amazing stuff for him. But I don't I honestly don't know how great a quarterback he well, is. He so, missed the open receiver in the in the playoffs and that was massive. Which yeah, Lapo designs yeah, that Andrew it's, Harris, right? Yeah, Lapo designs it. It's open. Yee. Yeah. You can't miss that. So the the stark, stark difference between uh, a bridge offense and a Kalaros offense. And every offense evolves over the course of the season. Uh Kalaros's last you know, last season in Hamilton where he was 0 and eight, their offensive line was so bad, but then when Masoli takes over, they'd fix the offensive line with yep. guys who are now in the NFL and all of a sudden it was fine. And Brandon Banks was suddenly playing receiver. Duh. Ken Austin must know a ton about football, but about how to use Brandon Banks, he was behind the curve on, let's say that. So, uh, honestly, the numbers pulling out the starkness and the difference between uh, between Bridge and Kalaros was one to me. Uh, I was never, I haven't been a big fan of any riders running back in the last 
<laughs> couple of years at least, I never bought Trent Richardson. People kept trying to sell me Trent Richardson. I was never going to buy that. I'm still not. He can score as many touchdowns in that defunct league in the States as you want. <laughs> yeah. But when you run the ball from the two, you're going to score double-digit touchdowns. That does not did not impress me at all. I was never – I've not been big on Trey Mason and maybe the William that William Powell is here. But then, I mean, we can delve into a whole analytic thing this afternoon about do running backs matter? Because the NFL is, you know, the NFL analytics community is currently on running backs do not matter. One is not much, so much better than the other. You should pay them any money. The writers clearly believe William Powell is is a difference maker, and I can I can give you some numbers to both, you know, encourage that and dissuade you from that. Murr. I don't know. Are we reaching the? I don't mean to hate to do it. But I think we're kind of reaching the end. Aren't I we? think we've been. We've been. This might more, be the world Derek's record. Been more than fair with us as far this as might the world record for and nothing is because we could talk forever. And oh never, yeah, yeah, and just, we, we just will two more for hours sure. and we're done. Yeah, yeah I, know. I got I a just, job to do. I gotta, they're yeah. wondering where I am. I'm we, usually in at nine. We appreciate you coming in, and yeah. we we'll look forward to getting you on here again. That's, Rob's supposed to be doing this, but I'll stick on Rob's toes this time. No, I I can't so, see my toes anymore unless the rapper. No, just great. It'll be. Going to watch you grow and mature, and I know we've seen you. It's hard to believe you're 44. I think it's, <laughs> yeah. you're the most youthful looking 44. I was shocked when you said that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's all the fart jokes I would make on Sports <laughs> Center, right? All the infantile jokes, and then you think, can I really keep making those jokes on my 50th birthday? No, I'm probably going to need to find well, something. Rob else, hasn't so. stopped. Former yeah, former true. Philadelphia Phillies pitcher Larry Anderson. Yeah. Who once Ian, I, by the way, Ian, and he, I think he once posed in, for Sports Illustrated like with a carrot up his nose, and um, <laughs> his famous quote was, "You're only young once, but you can be immature forever." Exactly. So there you go. Larry Anderson is well, our god. Clint Eastwood said, "Don't let the old man in in the mule." I think so. That's a team. But we let you that, in. That anyway may have been the, the threesome scene at the end. I don't know. That yeah, could have anyway. been something. Who knows? Derek, we thank oh. you profusely for being so generous with your time and your. Uh, your stats, especially. Thank well, you. Yeah, the the stats stats are great, Bert. What if we talked about stats? What if we should do a stat on the stats. On imagine the stats. if I imagine if I'd been able to bone up on my rider stats in advance. <laughs> I, know, of this. I could have been banging out tackle depths and Sam and Pearl missing only. Tell, Rob and I have this symbiotic reference. He's devoted to stats, and I'm kind of like to have more of the color and who the people are, and it works out pretty well. He can spend three hours watching the games, and I try to find out. And that's why we we read the leader post and yes. consume their podcast <laughs> content. All right, so I'm going to read this. Da, 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 da. Da, da. Please rate us on iTunes and leave a review. It helps us grow the podcast. If you'd like to send us a question, you can email Rob at rvanstone at postmedia.com and we'll read it on the show, as you can tell by the sheer number of questions we had today. Actually, I had one and I forgot to even... Okay, we'll get to it next week. I don't want to further impose We'll get to it next week. Once again... Derek, Thank you so much. Best of luck yeah. in the new role. I know you're going to be amazing. You already are. So thank you. You have for to live me. up to Rob's quote comments from you in his column today or yesterday about. Oh, I haven't seen. It. I have to pick you up better, a comment. You better read that. There's oh, some boy. pressure on you, buddy. Yeah. Big well, <laughs> filling in for Rod Peterson, there's there's always going to be pressure. So I'm ready. For Derek, for Murray, I'm Rob, and we'll do this next week with uh, podcast number 49. Take care.